Welcome to Jason in the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And I'm Sean Hill. And we are moving ahead with our trio of intrepid movie reviewers and commentators, this time talking about uh, two David Lynch films, The Elephant Man and Eraserhead. Um, so, Paul, first of all, you selected these two. Why'd you pair these two together? Uh, just chronological. Just okay, simple. Just just to watch the development and see uh just see the the difference between the two from doing something on his own completely and then doing like basically a studio film. This is a nice way to just to dig into David Lynch, I think. There's such a level of difference between these two movies in almost every way. Mm-hmm. Uh qualitative plot-wise uh and aspirational this is a monumental up uh not upgrade but evolve evolve meant is that's not the right word evolution <laughs> evolution <laughs> it's still early here yeah i'm still sleeping i mean there's definitely an evolution but it, it's it's almost not it's almost like a sideways evolution. It's like it's it's just like an appliance of of structure. I think is is really what we get. I think I think if we move on to you know the next films, we're going to really see evolution. I think what we've got here is is just the uh, just pure looseness and then pure structure mm-hmm. with this on on his style. Which In is, a weird. In a weird way, Elephant Man was the more like jarring film when I watched it mm. because it is there's so much structure and it. it's so, such a well-structured film with clear first, second, and third acts, uh, callbacks to earlier in the film that are clearly intentional, mm-hmm. uh, characters that recur. Um, there's the one dream sequence, but not very much dream sequence. And it's also a bit of a pastiche too, has this very strong German expressionistic feel to it. And so it feels really like almost like the outlier in his whole catalog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we are, are we going to, we are we going to talk about Dune again, eventually? (laughs) I think we probably should. Yeah, we should. Yeah. When it comes, if we're doing chronological, it'll come up. Yeah. I saw that in the theater too. So I'm I'm very familiar with that lately. Yeah. I would, I would say, like, on one level, the only thing these two have in common is they begin with the letter E and they're black and white. (laughs) But there is another thing that I thought was that struck me this time, and that's the sound design. Oh, yeah. The sound design really carries over. And I would even say, as sort of a high concept statement, Elephant Man gave him a chance to look at the Industrial Revolution as it was happening and what it was doing to, like, London society, you know, where, like, the first factories had come from Mm -hmm. all over England. And he's really fascinated by, as always, pipes and chimneys and smoke and trains. And then Eraserhead is kind of like the result of all that a hundred years later, the the complete alienation from the environment that industrialization has caused 
at least in Henry Spencer's world. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Yep. <laughs> His um father-in-law who's like, I put every pipe in this neighborhood. I did all these pipes. What do the pipes do? Who nobody knows. But they're <laughs> they come through the walls and the ceiling. There's just the noises of of both movies. There's a lot of unpleasant buzzes and hums and and engine sounds. Yeah, there's it's always it's it's just a constant undertone of of tension and uh unease, I think is what, what it really pulls off. And I guess that's what he meant. I guess that's what he wanted to do, was to just make it. I don't know. I mean, this is again, this is where we start getting into interpretation a little bit. And it, I mean, the way he works, especially with the eraser head, uh, the, there's there's not a set interpretation. There's what he mm-hmm. was getting out of it, and then he doesn't care. He doesn't he doesn't want to let you know what he got, what he was trying to say, what he was wanting to do. Just get get from it what you get from it, and. And so that, that that makes that might make talking about these movies a little more difficult than like the Cronenberg films, where there's definitely interpretations, and he's definitely got some intellectual things that he's trying to accomplish. I think this makes that's going to make this a a much a very interesting experience trying to go through these films the same way we did Cronenberg. But but I think like a film like Elephant Man, and to a lesser extent Dune, where you do have an actual story. Is really the outlier. He wants us to be interpreting his work. He wants us to be pulling from Lost Highway, for example, the uh, kind of confusion we have about who uh, who's doing these things in the film to keep it without any spoilers. And uh, I think that that makes it in some way a richer experience. And Cronenberg creates these worlds and pulls us in them and tells us these stories where Lynch pulls us into these worlds, gives us these fingerprints that lead us to something but we have to bring a lot of ourselves to it also yeah yeah it's like it's like music it's like it's like uh i saw somebody online say that compare his filmmaking to um uh like uh, like it's like music or like abstract art or architecture it's 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 designed to provoke a feeling but you bring the you bring the emotional connection to to make those what you feel is as uh a reaction it's and it's and so it's going to be different for everybody and so that's the thing that's it's like there there's some some key points i mean you can it's clearly eraser head is dealing with anxieties about you know having a family and child raising you know that's obvious but then there's so much more there than that though. And we're all going to see different things. Mm -hmm. So like, I have no idea what to make of the girl in the radiator. (laughs) Just, I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned by that. I don't have any idea what kind of interpretation (laughs) that, that would be other than the fact that that, we see when he first comes home that first night, that's what he does is he just lays on his bed staring at the radiator. And like, that's his 
peaceful space that's his that's where he uh is able to just like chill and and look happy at least he looks happy when he's doing it and then when they've got the baby there and the the his uh i don't know his the, the child's mother when they're there he tries to do that but he can't get comfortable because of the noises and everything and so that's the only that's the only key points like or, or keynotes i can find to kind of find some sort of interpretation for the girl in the radiator stomping on falling sperm and singing about heaven i guess now that i said that 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 kind of does open up some interpretational yeah. <laughs> possibilities doesn't it oh i think it's important that she's on a stage mm -hmm. right he looks into the radiator and this little stage comes out yeah and she's like a 60s girl group singer which is a image he touches again in Mulholland Drive mm. and I think at some point in, in Twin Peaks, some of the TV shows in Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and uh, so so that blissful Motown singer is is like this reward or comfort. But then you got like blue velvet with where it just turns into something different. So, but, but that, that's for another day. <laughs> well, well, in blue velvet, uh, Isabella Rosalini, she's not the the blissful singer on the stage. Mm -hmm. She's the femme fatale, beautiful woman from across the hall. Right? She, I was struck by how her hair and makeup looked like the beautiful woman in Eraserhead. And uh, whom he cheats on his wife with. But does he? That's that's another thing that I was I was interested in and in seeing, getting, hearing what you guys thought. I don't think he did. I think that was all fantasy. Well, she's not there when she, he wakes up. She, his bed turns into a hot tub that they sink into. Yeah, so I think that's why I think it's a dream. It's that it's a it's a fantasy of his wanting that instead of what he's got the the wife who has left him and the screaming baby thing. I think when he wakes up, you know, there's nothing there. She's not there, and uh, doesn't see her again until she's coming home with a with a date across the hall. So I, I think that I think that was fantasy. I think that I think that 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 turns on that notion that this is just all about family anxiety, anxiety about settling down, anxiety about having a child. And he did. He and his wife did divorce during the making of this, uh, but they you know, she's they're still friendly. Peggy Lynch. Yeah. But they were still he was friendly also and young enough when he was making this. I mean, basically, just in his early to mid twenties. Yeah, that he was still a film old. student. Yeah, still mm -hmm. yeah at the AFI special AFI studio, and then post post uh, basically post postgraduate education, he was able to still use the studio space to create the film. 
So it's clearly like showing, not clearly, but I think I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, Paul, where it's kind of showing his anxieties about um, moving into adulthood and, and what it means to have a family and uh, these these kind of feelings of being lost, the, the your youth being lost in a way, trying to recapture it uh, with the music too. Like I keep coming back to, in my mind, to, to the way Lynch uses music in all his films. You know, in Fire Walk With Me, there's the scene where um, Laura and Donna go to the um, the roadhouse and Julie Cruz is singing her music. And it's this long, almost like intensely drawn out scene where they're dancing and then starting to have sex to the music. And it all feels very kind of uncomfortable and painful. And painful is maybe not the word, emotionally exhausting. Hmm. And, um, you know, Inland Empire does that too. Though it has that ending where everyone's dancing kind of happily. He brings together people from his other films, which is, and we'll get to Inland Empire in a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's that's going to be a hell of a conversation. But, um, I mean, <laughs> music is like all over his films in a way that's kind of different than it is for any other director. I mean, Wild at Heart with the Elvis influences too, where like, the Elvis is the Elvis mood kind of stimulates this this deep passion between the two characters. Um, I'm not sure there, if I have a point there as much as no. to say there were musical performances at the in in I think almost all the episodes of the Return, the Twin Peaks Return, mm-hmm. that would that would always end up there at the at the bar and with live music. Yeah, there's something there is something to to look at and to maybe think about as we keep going. See if we can figure out what's going on there. And the thing is, too, like music is pretty much by definition non-sequential in that, you know, it's not it's not telling a story most of the time. Certainly not Julie Cruz's music. Certainly not this this uh, singer. Um, so it's this really interesting and nice, nice kind of contrast to his work. Um, the other thing obvious also to bring in is he sees the girl in the radiator. Obviously, these beings her mother places is such a recurring theme in his work too. The unknowable, right? Which is, you never know if it's dream or id or subconscious or a true other dimensional being. And um, I think he, he loves to play with that whole concept to me. Not to me. He loves to play with that whole concept. And so there's this weird kind of almost precursor element to that to me. What do you mean? Oh, just like seeing it in a racer head and seeing the girl on the radiator. Oh, okay. It feels like he's he's starting to play with ideas to keep revisiting again and again in his career. Oh, and yeah. I guess in, in a lot of ways, what I the way I watched this movie was to say, what elements do I see later on? And what is mm-hmm. how does he build on these ideas he's pulling out later on? Yeah, that whole opening sequence, the with the man on the planet pulling the gear, pulling the levers and the his uh uh what's his name is his eraser heads head floating in space with and then opening his mouth and the sperm flying out to just yeah <laughs> which is so beautiful and so weird yeah and that Uncanny, comes back in maybe it's a better word for it at the same that, time that sort of thing does come back in in the return to the twin peaks return did did you guys i ended up with 
I've got two copies of Eraserhead now, the Criterion and an earlier one. And the earlier one, the only extra thing is the 2,085-minute documentary mm -hmm. that Lynch made, I guess. And the Criterion has a bunch of other things, plus that. Um, but I was really struck by how, like, that the song of the Radiator Girl was written for the movie. And it is this trope that that the the singer on stage is such a magical time, but like in Twin Peaks, it's always when Bob is killing somebody mm -hmm. that that the song is also playing. There's like it's it it's this opening to another level or another reality. And yeah. there's so many, like, textbook surreal elements in Eraserhead, right? Looking through keyholes, the globe, the, the muddy ball of earth breaking open to show something inside. Mm -hmm. um, walls and windows that are broken and pierced, pierced that you look through. It, and... The floating eraser head, you know, is sort of like Dale Cooper's astral spirit wandering through the dimensions in mm -hmm. The Return. So mm -hmm. he definitely like sets up everything that he keeps doing for the rest of his career in Eraserhead. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 almost one of the most impressive things about the film is that every movie he made, every movie he has made is in this this first film in some in some manner it's that's 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 impressive and then elephant man has some of those same elements right yeah. with there's scenes of the cosmos there's the the very lyrical you know imagine death of his mother or injury of his mother by elephants mm. trampling her mm -hmm. yeah. Which are all, she's nowhere near any elephants. It's just footage cut together. And, um, but in Elephant Man, he toned it all down and delivered it into a package that could get five Oscar nominations. Yeah, there's also that one scene where the camera drifts slowly up to the eye of his mask and enters the, the mask in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, all the little stitching around the hole in the in the mass, mm -hmm. and there's a lot at play in Elephant Man about the grotesquerie of the of John Merrick, the grotesquerie of the actual uh, the the circus performers, especially, and how he's he's somehow more civilized. They're somehow uh, less uh, less connected to the world around them. Uh, this kind of high and low kind of feeling in, in an interesting way, uh, which I found fascinating. Brit I gotta British tell you, hierarch like, hierarchies are are very much the one of the key elements of that movie. I got to tell you, like I saw that 
three Saturdays ago in a theater, Elephant Man, and I walked out of there with like tears streaming down my eyes. I thought it was like such a gorgeously moving film. I actually liked it better than Straight Story, which I know a lot of people love. Um, I think it might be my favorite Lynch, which sounds like sacrilege. <laughs> but it's his, it's definitely the one that gives you an, uh, a distinct emotional reaction. I, I was the same way. I was tearing up and crying, you know, uh, I wasn't expecting it to. I haven't I haven't seen the movie in decades and was just immediately drawn into it and just stunned by how just painful it was at times. And he really, I mean, he nails it. He he's he was able to really pull it together. And I don't know how much of that was was him or the other screenwriters, you know, working to to give it a structure and, and to give it that uh, emotional connection that maybe doesn't come naturally, maybe. At least not from, you don't get that from Eraserhead. Eraserhead, you just, I'm, I was just anxious through the whole thing. Yeah, Eraserhead just, you just, I just felt so uneasy through the whole thing. And it's strange because Elephant Man, uh, Merrick is the completely distorted creature but once i felt like i got used to his face and once i start to hear who he was and how he saw the world not only did i appreciate him more but i actually like he felt normalized to me and it's a beautiful statement to me and the the true outsider being embraced as an insider by the people who really care about him uh i mean reading it wow 40 years later 40 years after it was released. Plus, um, it's kind of a plea for tolerance and appreciation for people, who people are on the inside. And maybe there's a different sense of this coming from Lynch's heart. Maybe that's part of why it was so disciplined. Maybe, maybe. Kind of a young man's film saying, hey, uh, you know, I may seem like this kind of quaint Midwestern feeling guy, or well, I guess he's from Philadelphia, but he's got that Midwestern manner to him. Uh, but there's something deeper inside here. I think, I think always for Lynch, it's 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 about the level of control he has and the level of trust. Mm -hmm. You know, and the problem with Dune, you know, that he's always said is that he didn't get final cut. It was. De Laurentiis Studios was, was too looming a presence. And this was Mel Brooks's company. And he sort of let Lynch go. Mm -hmm. He didn't interfere. And so he was able, I, the making of the two films, you're right, like there weren't really a lot of issues in delays or financing or whatever that I'm aware of with Elephant Man. It just kind of came together and, and he had support and well, but he, he also had like breakdowns. He he didn't he wasn't sure about what was what he was doing through mm. most of the movie. Interesting. Yeah, he 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 would yeah. I think he said he had a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety, uh just trying to bring it together that he just had to keep being talked down. I didn't know that. I think maybe, I'm I'm, maybe I'm, I'm pretty sure. 
maybe from dealing with so many established actors in such a studio apparatus compared to, you know, buying rolls of film daily to keep <laughs> yeah. shooting scenes from and every the the whole all of the people involved like the log lady was the assistant director and the assistant to the <laughs> right. cameraman yeah that's yeah and and her whole family her nephew and her husband were involved in the film too it was this labor of love by this tight-knit group and that it took six years of even like additional footage and reshoots was something they all were just committed their lives to and have these fond, you know, it's so weird that this emotionally alienated detached movie is beloved by all the people who were making it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's watching those documentaries of them, like getting together 10, 20 years later and revisiting set. There's revisiting uh, locations and they're all just happy and laughing and reminiscing like it was the best time of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And they 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 wanted to break into a locked garage mm -hmm. where it had been one of the sets. Mm -hmm. And they're like, who who's got some uh bolt cutters? And it's like, okay, guys, maybe relax, you know. You don't really need to go in there. And, oh my god, uh, it is like like revisiting your your beloved 20s, right? When you had no cares in the world. Going back to the old college campus mm -hmm. yeah. for the reunion. And, uh, you know, and several of them went on to subsequent careers with him or without him. The wife, Mary, was in was on Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, while they were filming. While they yeah, were filming. I love that <laughs> anecdote about her showing up in her makeup in the <laughs> evening. Just it's amazing that it got made. The the story of Racing Your Head getting made is like one of those iconic, you know, low budget films. How you how do you what do you do to get a film made? It's you just keep working at it and working at it. I mean, the the fact that uh, um, what's his name Jack Nance is that right? Yeah, yeah Jack yeah. Nance. But yeah. he had to keep that haircut for five, six years. Oh know, God! Because they would you never knew when they were going to be shooting again. Yeah, that's yeah. just that's just stunning to me. That his someone has that. had to keep teasing his hair. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and uh, you, you notice she also said, um, in gratitude, he gave them all points on the movie. Yeah, so they all. And everybody's like, that's such a nice gesture. This movie's never going to make a dime. And <laughs> it ended up having an in, kind of an endless life as a classic art film. And they're getting residuals. Yep. Like, like real from it. Yeah. And uh, she said she put her daughter through college with Eraserhead. Oh, wow. Didn't know that story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the the second disc on the Criterion has, it's so annoying, like all David Lynch discs are, mm -hmm. and it just has a string of dates, a string of years. Yeah, yeah. And you click on each one, and who knows what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And they're all, like, it could be a five-minute clip, it could be a an hour-and-a-half clip. Yeah, or a trailer, for a, re a trailer for a re-release. Yeah. 
Yeah. But there's some real little gems in there, you mm-hmm. know, the Criterion dug up. Um, and then, of course, you know, Catherine Coulson, the log lady, was involved with his work for his for for her whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told there's an anecdote in and I think the booklet or I mean, maybe in the, the Lynch on Lynch book uh, where he said while they were filming Eraserhead, he told her he was he wanted to make a, a TV series with her and a log where every week she would take the log someplace and show it, you know, like like how paper is made or how, you know, how something is done. And it's like an <laughs> educational show. And then then, you know however much long later she gets to play the, the log lady for real it's just there's just so much i mean like i said every everything is there <laughs> everything he has done is is there in his in his head either behind the scenes or in the subtext of the of the film it's it's amazing Hey, Sean, I know there's some of his short films on that disc too, right? Did you watch any of those? I didn't. Okay. I'm curious how they kind of fit into things like this, the amputee and stuff yeah. like that. I didn't, I didn't yeah. see any of them either. Yeah, I've got... Let me streaming on Criterion Channel too. Says. I just didn't get a chance to watch them. But you're, yeah, I, it really does feel like the DNA is is inside these films. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to trace everything back to Twin Peaks since I know it so well, too. And and there's so much in there around the family and the dysfunctions of families inside what appears to be functional, uh, and the way, uh, the way you know, in Eraserhead, the family just is so just distorted is impressionistic in a way in the way they all react with each other yeah Yeah. it's like everybody's in their own different movie kind of yeah yeah they're they're reacting to things in ways that you you just don't know what's going on with those characters or what you know what's what's their triggers like that that dinner scene when he cuts open the the man-made things (laughs) man-made squab or whatever it is and blood starts pouring out and the wife just breaks down and runs out of the room it's just i mean everything about it is just it is just tense and paranoia and she I, reminded I, me so much of sarah palmer mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah so much on the edge all the time right with leland is the, the calm one and everything just kind of cascading into uh this whole she just knows behind everything is going to be a, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, yeah. strangeness. That yeah. She just is never prepared to deal with. The um, just, just can't get away from dealing with it. The short films on the Criterion. Let's see. Oh, let me. Can you see this? Yeah. This is all of them in a separate DVD. Okay. So I have watched them uh when i got this six men getting sick the alphabet the grandmother the amputee the cowboy and the frenchman and something called lumiere Hmm. and i hardly remember a thing about them okay 
it, that's that might be something significant to actually talk about um the fact that these are so you know, like like we said so abstract and you bring you bring your own meaning to you know all of these works that when it's something like that like the short film is just kind of an a, a, an image sometimes it doesn't have the same kind of impact as as uh some of the the more long form pieces that he that he does i mean he there's a there's a a short film that he did for netflix i think just here in the last couple of years that's like a a weird little uh mystery I, I can I but but it was very weird when I saw it and I I really enjoyed it but now I don't remember barely anything from it because it and maybe that's oh, was because, that that what did Jack do Yeah, and it's like I I don't remember anything about it just that it, that it was weird, and that sometimes that has affected my viewing of some Lynch movies is that they just seem to be strange for strange's sake. And that this idea that, you know, it's it's something that he doesn't want to offer an interpretation for. It's up to you to interpret it. Can sometimes feel a little a little lazy. But maybe, maybe that's that's, that's but that's how I've how I've experienced some of Lynch's works. Like when I first saw Wild at Heart, I hated it. I, I, I just couldn't stand it. Mm. I was, and but but I. I've seen it, I guess, once since then, and I I did enjoy it more, but I think I enjoyed it more uh, mainly because of the the, the it's an adaptation of a novel by by the guy who wrote the script for uh, uh, Lost Highway. After that, and he also wrote the Perdita Durango, who is a character that shows up in Wild at Heart. And so right. I've I'm kind of I. I'm getting more into Wild at Heart now because of other outside influences and, and things. But so I, I really do want to see that again and after watching them in order uh, to see how that changes. But I mean, like that that that, that one, and I have to say, uh, Inland Empire, I go back and forth on whether it's a masterpiece or if it's just utter nonsense. <laughs> and and I I just it just depends on my on the day, I guess. That's, that's one what... that's one I really need to talk about with you guys. Yes, because uh I was profoundly just baffled by that movie. Mm -hmm. What what my reaction should be. Yeah, uh there's times in that where I think it's like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And but then the surrealistic nature of it, the episodic feel of it. I don't know, is it indulgent? Is it weird for weird sake? Is it a masterpiece that's kind of playing with the idea of the, the whole concept of uh, narrative. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I get stuck on that film of like what it means. Like we know Eraserhead is, is true surrealism as Sean was saying. I loved your insights there, Sean. Like he really is using classic surrealistic elements to uh, bring that film to life. The film student is evident there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have have either of you seen uh, Phil Tippett's The Mad God? No, it's it's a not not fully, but almost fully stop motion uh, film about a descent into hell. And when I was I I had just seen that like a, 
a week before watching Eraserhead again this time. And there's a, a bit, it, it might be the closest thing I've ever seen to Eraserhead. Uh, and it's, it's just unrelenting, just horror, uh, horrible things happening to everyone in, involved. And it's just, a like I said, it's just a, it's a stream of consciousness film. He was just making things up as he went and you kind of get that same, it's, it's an energy that again, like I said, it's relentless, it's tiring. Um, I watched it on uh, Joe Bob's last drive-in and uh, they kept cutting into it to, you know, every 20, 30 minutes or so to talk about the film with Phil Tippett and to talk about the making of it and what he was trying to do. And, and he was full on just like, uh, just like Lynch, not offering up interpretations. He refused to do that. He was just, you know, just watch it. It's there. What's, what's on the screen is what is what the meaning is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, if, if they hadn't been cutting it up and breaking in to talk about it every 20 minutes, I don't know if I'd have been able to sit through the whole thing. But it's interesting. Cause you have a, I, I see you as a person who's got a pretty high tolerance for things that are non-linear. Well, it's not so much that it's non-linear. It's just that it's just, it just keeps going and going and there's no, there's no real end goal in sight that you can tell. And at one point it spirals into a, a whole dream sequence that's very bizarre before finally coming back to the real the reality in quotes. And it it was like I said, it was very much like Eraserhead. I mean, I've and I guess I've never seen anything else that really did that as effectively. And I think Eraserhead is just like I said, it's 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 a masterpiece. I, I I do think it's one of the greatest, you know, low budget indie, I guess, I midnight movies, you know, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which is where it got its foothold. Uh, so why do you think it is so, what do, what do you think makes it so effective? I think it is, it's just, it's that underlying sense of unease and angst and anxiety that just never lets up. Uh, I had, I mean, this, this is one of those movies where, you know, when you're in college, it's like you get really high and watch and it just uh-huh. freaks you out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I had somebody who, who tried to watch it while tripping one time and was just like, nope, nope. Got like five minutes in. I'm like, nope, turn this off, turn this off. Is this too much for me? Mm-hmm. And and it's like totally understandable. Because <laughs> there is something like he, I think a part of what makes Lynch so great is he has this ability to kind of tie into this like almost subliminal world that we all live with. Mm-hmm. Tie into our subconscious or unconscious or some some lower level that we're not always like in contact with. Yeah. Uh, and, and have you? And have I wish you... I knew how he did that. Go ahead. Have you looked into his uh, transcendental meditation? No, it work about that. That's that's his that's his thing. He is he does transcendental meditation, and that's where he pulls up these images and these ideas. And it's the, the I just I just started looking into it just this this weekend or just Friday I guess. Uh, watched him do like an hour and a half. Uh, 
documentary about transcendental meditation and how it's how it helps him and how it uh, keeps him creative and active. And it's it's really is about digging into your subconscious and pulling up images and ideas and that expand your consciousness. Uh, and it's it's very interesting. You can't you can't really like watch a video about it and start trying it. You have to actually be taught. There's a uh, like a short course that you take with a licensed transcendental meditation teacher. They give you a mantra and then you're off to the races after the, you know, the, the classes. And it's very interesting. I'm, 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 it really made me want to try it, but uh, there's like nobody close to actually, you know, interact with to get it started. I to find that then yeah. in West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't, the way he talked about it, it really was about that. Like, like diving into the subatomic realm of consciousness uh, so he's he, legitimately he, thinking in that way then mm -hmm, really yeah yeah and he he mentions it briefly in one of the in like the there's a one of the videos on that on that disc he's being interviewed by someone like a like a college uh interviewer or something so it seemed like and he he briefly mentions uh transcendental meditation i think but uh, but and and so i guess he's been doing it forever and and it really it like i said it really made me maybe interested there he he draws a parallel between like physical reality and then looking at uh, atoms and then molecules and going subatomic and how it it's just opens up and it's into like a oneness and that that that's at the base of consciousness if you can go deep enough it's it's a it's a a, a oneness with everything and and apparently it's very easy and you do it the first time you do it, you can reach that point. It's very, very, very strange. And I'm very intrigued. I think you said one of the eraser head crew has did it with him. Ah, okay. There, 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 one of the actors or, or behind the scenes persons was also, they started it together. Ah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So since since the first movie yeah it sounds like a, a very california sort of thing to do yeah it does but then i found out yeah i was like it's a, a bunch of people do it um uh, jerry seinfeld i think is someone else who's uses who does it to just to basically to stay fresh to stay uh creative hmm. that, um, that does sound intriguing then mm -hmm. and it's like 20 minutes twice a day just uh, chanting your mantra in no, internally, that's not, not vocal vocalized, and that twenty minutes is like a like the most relaxing, refreshing twenty minutes that people say they they ever experience. Better than a full night's sleep. Some some people say. So uh, I, I'm really curious. I would like to check this out. That would be amazing if uh, David Lynch causes you to take on a new practice that's gonna. <laughs> like really change your life in some way wow Could be. of course uh who thanks eraser head <laughs> <laughs> yeah when someone says eraser head changed my life that's not the <laughs> you don't really expect it to be something positive
here's here's a question okay and this is a this is like an 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 interpretive approach that i think i might want to explore a little bit uh maybe in some of the ones coming up um i had this notion the last time i did a lynch rewatch um that maybe there's not um there aren't different levels of reality in these films and there aren't dreams being uh, shown that everything that we see is actually there. That's not something to be interpreted. That's, that's a thing that's happening. Like the man in the planet moving the lovers in the beginning of elephant man. That's some sort of real thing in this world of the, of, of the narrative. Not necessarily. I'm not saying like you know. In the real world, he thinks there's a man and a moon pulling lovers. But in in the structure of the film, that's not a that's not a metaphor for something. That's the reality that this that this world is. And so, like when the little woman comes in out of the out of the uh, radiator, that actually takes place. And in that case, maybe he does actually have. Uh, sex with the the beautiful woman across the hall and it does had does have some sort of weird transformative experience through that and when his head gets chopped off and the little baby head pops up and screams and then his head gets falls into the street and is picked up by a kid who takes it to the pencil factory and he gets ground up and turned into erasers and becomes eraser head it's like that's just maybe it's just the reality of this of this film and then he i don't even remember how how does he does he just wake up after that in bed or is that i can't remember they just go back to him not being decapitated yeah right um so yeah, I was. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah, because that's 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 where that's where he's having the sex with the woman across the hall. That's when all that happens, and then he wakes up and she's not there. And when he looks out the window, just sees people fighting, and then looks across the hall again, and then she's there with another man. So yeah, I don't know. And I guess maybe point, you can't really read it like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> except I, as a you know, surrealist. I, I think I think there always are other realities in Lynch. Mm-hmm. That they're connected to this reality, that this reality triggers. But that a lot of the like scenes or set pieces are kind of artifacts of some other forces at play. Mm. And mean, maybe yeah. that there are men and deformed men in bizarre attics pulling levers <laughs> that do something right the that industrial machinery is everywhere and you know in in twin peaks right the return you've got the giant and his goddess partner who create Laura 
to heal the world from the nuclear doom of Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And they're using all these polished brass tubes and apparatuses and vats and like a still, but it makes bubbles of souls or something. And then you've got the dark, smoky, polluted basement furnaces where like David Bowie's soul has ended up. Mm-hmm. But he can still kettle. talk to you through the smoke from a teapot or something. Yeah. And it's like underneath everyday reality is this mythological substrata that really, like, the ancient gods are all still alive and in control. And influencing those actions on these other levels of reality are influencing things that are happening in the narrative. Like, even in Blue Velvet, right, there's that ridiculous scene in uh what's her name in the movie isabella the rossellini character yeah i should know dorothy dorothy's (laughs) apartment where the assassin and somebody else and the lamp and the this guy gets killed standing up he can't fall over because an electric current is running through his body Mm -hmm. but which is just some bizarre connection of wiring in her apartment. And we know for Lynch that electricity and plugs and power lines are all doorways to the higher or lower planes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like Dorothy is sort of through Dennis Hopper is sort of implicated in all of these forces that are completely beyond her control and all she wants to do is save her son. But her power for various reasons is blocked or frustrated or denied. Oh man, we're this is getting weird. <laughs> this is, these are going to just be very strange discussions. Well, so then that comes back to Henry in a racer head mm-hmm. and his impotence and his feeling of being blocked and his lack of connections, lack of real connections and his aspirations, which are consistently unfulfilled. And this technological world, manual or steampunk, we could call it what it is, uh, technological world around him that's also alienating him so he's both part of this world and not part of this world it's the part that imbues him with life but also kind of pushes him away from anything deeper in his life estranges him from life he wanders around through finds a dead cat's in Um, and then we get back at the end of the film we get back to the man on the planet you know where after after henry Un, un loose. I don't know what what he does. Un unwraps the baby, and it's just guts, and you know starts screaming and dying, and then the planet explodes, 
and the man of the planet is there struggling with the levers and everything sparking and exploding and you know henry ends up there in a cloud of eraser shavings and and he's finally embraced by the lady in the radiator as everything just builds to a, a chaos and then the movie's over and the screen goes white yeah oh my god he is he is the deus ex machina he's the god in the machine he he's literally the 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 guy pulling the levers is this other being uh changing everybody's life that keeps the keeps I, I was i was seeing it as like that's the guy who that's who keeps everything working you know that's you know that's superman in the sun at the end of uh 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 the Grant Morrison, right? All Star like, Superman. 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 Yeah, that's you know that's Superman in the sun pulling levers and making sure the sun doesn't go out. And then, but, but somehow it's connected and tied to the baby. Henry, and Henry, Henry broke it. Henry broke it. So may so it's an apocalyptic ending. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I interpreted that. He's also even got um, sandworms, which I had <laughs> forgotten. Right? That little yeah. worm he gets in the mail. Oh, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. And it jumps in. He's got all these these mounds of soil yeah. and debris in his apartment and things coming, growing out of them. Yeah. Seemed to me like that would be pretty hard for his wife to put up with. <laughs> yeah. But then where does she got to go home to? She's got a dad who's sort of lost his mind, a mom who makes passes at her boyfriend, and a grandma who is beyond her useful functional years, but still smokes. Yeah, it's house. like it's That's... yeah, it's like every element, every every character, every scene is is just uh, an aspect of this anxiety about family, and I don't know where the eraser head part comes in, but I mean, I, that like like that whole family, it was like every scene is just like the worst case scenario that he could imagine happening. And so it's like almost like what we're seeing are holy shit. Maybe it's like uh, maybe it's like Spider. Maybe everything that we see is you know filtered through Henry's and anxieties, and maybe the you know the the extreme weirdness of that family isn't so much the family, but it's his interpretation of the family. He his anxieties clouding his uh, experience. I think there's a lot to that, Paul. Yeah, maybe. That was that. I was thinking about that, like with with Spider, how everything was filtered through his perception, and so you get things happening that you know aren't really happening, but they're they're the way he's uh, hallucinating them or you know interpreting the 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 reactions only in that case you know it's an actual study of mental illness 
whereas here it's it's using that that filter uh, as a means of of artistic expression, say. And so maybe 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 in a way everything is there. Maybe the man on the planet is there, and that's part of Henry's psyche as part of his uh part that's of his a, reality. a level a level yeah. of his reality yeah, yeah something underlying like that's what keeps the radiator going and it's what yeah that's what keeps the the city what there is of it going and then the baby ends up you know as a uh again maybe the baby isn't necessarily a monster but it's just a constantly screaming mewling child that he can't handle and that's what he that's how he sees it as, as a as a thing have you guys ever read dahlgren by samuel delaney no i've i've, I've got it and i've wanted to for decades but i read babel 17 but not dahlgren oh well babel 17 is like the elephant man to Dahlgren's eraser head. <laughs> Babel 17 on one level is a nice outer space adventure with a psychic detective. Yeah. But um in Dahlgren, there's been some in unexplained disaster in this city called Bologna, which is sort of where New Orleans is, except there's skyscrapers. And Society has decayed and bizarre, surreal things ha are happening every day. And our hero, who doesn't remember, who's got amnesia, stumbles into this nuclear family setting in a high-rise building. And it's a mom and pop and kids. And they are pretending like everything's still okay. And they need they take in this bizarre stranger, kind of hippie street urchin, but they sit down to three meals a day and they expect him to like go get a job or whatever. And that reminded me of Henry coming to Mary's family. Mm -hmm. Like they're all act they're they're enacting a 1950s family dynamic. Everything's so broken they don't they don't really know how to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Isn't and there a question? Sorry. They're stuck in these patterns that don't serve them. Yeah. It reminds me a little we put it that way, it reminds me of uh John Isidore and do Android Stream of, of Electric Sheep wandering around that enormous apartment complex trying desperately to make sense of everything in the old traditional way of thinking about things and everything is completely transformed and different compared to what he's used to and why Izzy's like such a compelling character to me he's so innocent but also so complicit at the same time yeah i, I think i think um writers huh. like delaney and i'm be curious about the, and dick uh, Dahlgren is like a thousand pages, right? Famously like this ridiculously long book. It's very long. It's big, long, and surreal. But full of events and characters that are memorable. 
and full of mystery too. Like it, it brings up a lot that it doesn't explain or answer. Look, I'm yeah. finally almost ready to read <laughs> Delaney, more Delaney. It's like I've finally really come around to Ursula Le Guin, who I hated for years. And oh, then like one of the great uh, one of the great authors. <laughs> My God. Yeah, just in the last 10 years or so, I've read more and more of her work and just adore it. Yeah. No, yeah, she's one of the greats. We're going off on tangent. I want this to, I want this <laughs> to be like an insanely long episode. Um, so we, we've kind of talked around Elephant Man and let me come back to it. you, Paul, you, you said you were in tears at the end of it and I was too. Um, is it a Lynchian movie, uh, or is it a good movie with really great structure that happened to be directed by Lynch? That's a, that's a really good question. And what we'd have to I feel like we'd have to define Lynchian. Is it is it just something you feel, or is it there an actual element that you think makes something Lynchian? So I would say the surrealistic elements Sean brought in earlier mm -hmm. uh, is one of the things, but also, uh, well, okay, and this connection, like we were just talking, this connection to a different reality. Mm -hmm. Um. Also, the fact that you have ambiguity at, as you leave the cinema as opposed to having clear a clear answer to your mm -hmm. to your in other words you have an epiphany at the end instead of leaving with kind of a feeling of restlessness uh and also the, he generally doesn't follow the three-act structure well yeah maybe in wild at heart but not not very often right uh, so that's what I was playing with. Like, is is this Lynch kind of uh, under studio control and creating something like we were saying earlier, like that was just really kind of tightly managed, or is this him that kind of reflecting his approach to the world at the time? I haven't watched any of the bonus scenes on the disc for that for this film, by the way. And I was also playing with: is he creating? Is he creating a film that's suitable for his actors who's like world-class actors especially for the time and this is anthony hopkins on his way up john hurt is the monster and bancroft had done a thousand movies at the time john gilgood wendy hiller i mean these are yeah. big time serious actors yeah there's there, there's also an, a notion that there's always something lurking underneath there's there's a darkness that is always there it's always present but might not be expressed you mm -hmm. know continuously so it, that, and that's where that sound design comes in it kind of helps build that that sense that there's something something going on underneath that uh like no matter how good things look on the on the surface there's going to be that darkness underneath that's that's just waiting to happen that it could happen at any time. Um, so in and that sense, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it does. I think keeping it black and white was a very Lynchian thing. Mm -hmm. I think it really does distance you a little bit yeah. from what you're watching. 
Um, and the camera work, I think, is his, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of long shots. There's a lot of main characters kind of in the background. And I even misremembered, like, the, the thing in 1980 when it came out, I guess it was maybe in the trailer, but everybody quoted, I'm not a monster. I'm a human being. Yeah. And when he says it, this time he's in the... Um, you know, a urinal bathroom stall all the way in the back with this big crowd in front of him. You can hardly even see his face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you hear his voice and they all kind of back away. And so I think the camera, what the camera's doing, I just think with the circus scenes and the freaks who free him from the animal cage. And the performance of Freddie Sykes too as Bites. I I I think I think Lynch maybe was even maybe awed a little bit by this caliber of actors. And he let them do what they do. Yeah, definitely. Because he, you know, in in Eraserhead, the actors said, you know, the cinematographer said, well, there's no script. You just show up that day and do what you need to do that day. And the actors are like, he sort of hires you because he wants you to do a thing, and he and then you do that thing. And uh, and he, you know, points you towards what it is, but he doesn't really explain anything. And yeah. in this one, we've got like John Gilgood and Wendy Hiller, who you know, who have been in every British movie since the fifties, and. Hopkins, young and at, at the height of his powers, as Jason said. And Anne Bancroft, who gets kind of a star moment in all of the Mel Brooks productions of this time period, you know, because she's she's a famous actress herself and she's Mel Brooks' wife. Mm -hmm. Very good actress, yeah. Yeah, she's really and 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 he gave her kind of this was like a postcard role for her, right? The the celebrated British stage star and uh yeah with the heart of gold too she I, I kept expecting her to betray merrick and she never does um so she's yeah she's kind of given a role that's perfect for, <laughs> for I, I, I think the producer's wife yeah i think the surrealism for lynch this time was england itself like just putting the Canberra back and watching the British people be British. Mm -hmm. Right. So he's got the class struggle, right. He's got the CD bar and the guy who wants to sell tickets uh, to the freak show. And then he's got the actual carnival guy whose whole career has been built around this one sickly deformed person who's at the absolute bottom of so the social strata. And then when the doctors want to kick out the incurable Merrick, the queen's daughter-in-law shows up and goes, the queen says no. Hmm. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Victoria wins. So the status of everyone is important. And, and Merrick's status is ever-changing up and down. Yeah. Because he's outside of all the social circles. 
it, it's really like you take all of the the surrealist the subtext of everything that's going on in Eraserhead, and it's no longer subtext. It's it's the means of expression in in Elephant Man. You know, hey, what that, do you? Oh, oh, sorry, keep going, Paul. Sorry, I was going to say like like that that idea that there's something lurking underneath uh, isn't so much symbolic like it is in Eraserhead, but it's you know actual events. There's there is someone there who's awful and who's tormenting him, and and it's 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 almost like like all the things that are Lynchian generally tend to be more abstract things or more feel things and in elephant man the lynchian elements aren't so much feels as structures in the story yeah i was just thinking about the cathedral he draw he creates mm -hmm. that he models too he literally is like the god figure um creating this geography in the film too merrick i mean I mean, if, if I had a complaint about the Elephant Man, it would be that everything is just there on the surface. It the the, the everything everything that that is said thematically is just kind of on the nose. You know, yep. it's 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 it lacks it lacks. Uh, I don't know. It it lacks another level to me it's it's a fantastic story and like i said i was in tears it, it deserved its award nominations it's a it's a really well done the performances are all spectacular but it's it's it it's like yep and here it is and we're done you know, when it's over you're done mm -hmm. yeah it's almost formulaic because the story i think the story lends itself to that yeah and I agree with you completely. Everything about it is up front, the good and the bad. Yeah. And all the dialogue, people say exactly what they mean. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and and it's not like the like the dialogue in Eraserhead, where you have long pauses before speaking, you have weird phrasings, you have uh, you know, sometimes going into just screaming instead of reacting normally. And in here, everything is very normal. It's very, this is how it is. This is what it's going to be. This is a movie. This is a movie about a story, about a character. And this is what happened to him. Yeah. Whereas Eraserhead, yeah. it's like, yeah. this is a thing. This is, <laughs> this might not even be a movie. This is what an experience. Is this? this is a, this is yeah. a dream collage nightmare. You're going from amateur actors to Shakespearean actors too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, but I but your point about intimidation, but but yeah. the, the the amateur actors are are bringing in levels of interpretation and levels of performance that you're not getting in an Elephant Man. Yeah, Elephant Man, you know they're 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 on the money. They're they're hitting their marks. They're delivering their lines. They're doing the emotion that is supposed to be done there. If this were a real thing happening, Eraserhead, the emotions are all all over the place nothing is how it should be happening right and so that so in, in that case in that sense i i i can't put elephant man above Eraserhead, even though it's you know the more competently and successfully made film 
as far as general, you know, your your normal filmmaking it takes yeah as well as as what normal filmmaking looks like you know it looks like a movie it sounds like a movie it acts like a movie and Eraserhead does so much more yeah I think ultimately go ahead John sorry I really feel like um each movie not just Lynch, but, you know, anyone, like, a film can come together or it won't. Each one has its own identity, that family mm -hmm. structure that forms, mm -hmm. right? And, like, something like Dune clearly went astray halfway through. And this one just all came together, and I think Lynch let that happen. I think he was seeking studio success at that time. Right. And weirdly enough, um, Eraserhead, in a way, had had started to build his reputation on one level or another. And uh, though it didn't really pay off for years. And so I think he was sort of content to let this one be. I mean, not just up front, but also like openly sentimental in a way. Right. Yeah. Like a 19th century postcard or, or a 19th century sort of Dickens story or something. Mm -hmm. And the characters go through horrible things, but we, we care about John and we want people to treat John well. And we're pleased when people do that. You know, I mm -hmm. thought like John Gilgood at first as the hospital director sees, seems like he's going to be this forbidding presence mm -hmm. condemning everything yeah and it turns out he's much more nuanced than that mm -hmm. and he just wants to know why his favorite doctor is sneaking this one patient around like what's the problem he wants to figure it out and he, and he and he takes steps to figure it out he's actually a very competent hospital director and it uh i'll make another association have any of you guys seen the 60s Charge of the Light Brigade movie? No. no. Tony Richardson, Vanessa Redgrave's father, I guess, and she's in the movie, and John Gilgood is in the movie. And he's a man in authority. He's basically the, the general or admiral or whatever that bungled the Crimean War that led to the crushing defeat. And Gilgood, you know, sound he's he he talks a good game for most of the movie. And when it totally goes awry, he crumbles. He 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 tries to deflect. He gets defensive. And I was just like, oh, is he gonna be that guy again? But he wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um he arranged for the queen's daughter-in-law to show up and and fix what was going wrong for Merrick's future. Yeah, the good people are good, the bad people are bad. Yes. <laughs> they yes. might you, you might they might present differently at first, but they if if they are good people, they they are good people. Right. Yeah. The 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 nurses who reject him because of his appearance mm -hmm. or or his incurability yeah. become his champions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they they see the the beauty inside the monster which is, I think, also part of it, too, is that anyone who's ever felt like an outsider can identify with John Merrick here because 
right uh, you know he has the soul this poetic soul inside of oh it ch- chokes me up just to think about it honestly yeah yeah and, and people I mean, like, pick on him for no real reason just prejudice just because he's yeah just because he's different from them the morality of the situation is very clear <laughs> yeah melodramatically clear melodramatic sentimental straightforward simple story and i mean lynch is kind of a fabulist is that a word he tells fables of certain mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. he he let this one just float be, by on that level be nice he let this one be nice <laughs> uh, so he and it got eight academy award nominations including best picture and best director uh, and it didn't win, but it won some BAFTAs. Didn't win yeah. anything in the U.S., but I mean, the 80 was a decent enough year for the Oscars. I think someone, someone told uh, John Hurt that they weren't going to get the Oscar because you couldn't see him in the role because he was so covered in the makeup and in the performance that that was going to, the Academy weren't going to recognize him because they couldn't see him. Oh come on! He was he was in competition with one of the greatest acting performances of all time, Robert De Niro, in *Raging Bull*. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, literally, like it's it's impossible. You can't be Robert De Niro in in *Raging Bull*. Yeah, true, but it it also plays to the Academy's uh, predispositions, I guess. Yeah, true. I was I was a little surprised that um, I thought that when we were in the circus parts, I thought we would see a little bit more like a, an inspiration from from freaks, um, and we we don't really. Uh, again, it's like they're all nice people, they're all good people, and they're just good, and they help when he, when they need to help. Uh, I was really I was expecting a bit more of the surrealist touch with with those characters and those settings that uh, I, I didn't really get, and I was I was kind of hoping for some because I thought if 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 it had taken on more of uh, the tone of uh, is it Todd Browning's freaks, yeah. if it had taken on a little bit more of that tone in those those portions of the film, I think it would have felt more like a lynch movie uh it would have kind of played with that idea of there's something going on underneath you're not sure what's what uh you know there's um again like you know, who knows what could happen in this in this scenario something bizarre could happen or something good something you, know, you just don't know but in in the elephant man you know if something's good's going to happen there everybody's going to pull together and 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 get him back on a boat to to england that's a good point well they i think he kept all of that kind of magic realism picture postcard Mm -hmm. again he's looking at all of the freaks from a distance you know so you see the conjoined twins and the bearded lady and the tattooed man but you see them from the audience as if you're going to the carnival yeah and you hear the the little people talking to each other, right? They have more dialogue, but not much. Um, and that part reminded me of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, I haven't seen that one. 
oh, you got to see that one. Yeah. It's actually an expressionistic movie, but I show it in my surrealism class. And in that one, a Bites-like figure shows up in a small German town as part of a traveling carnival. And you only see the carnival from the distance. You see the Ferris wheel. You see the throngs of people crowding into tents. And then you zoom in on this guy. He doesn't have an elephant man. He's got a somnambulist, hmm. a sleepwalker uh -huh. who never opens his eyes. And played by a, an amazing German dancer and stage performer. Uh who's this you know bizarre zombie-like figure and and he's being exploited and corrupted by uh caligari he, he keeps him in a cabinet and lets him out of the cabinet that's the whole movie so lynch is and it, it, it's visually one of the most one of the most experimental early movies of all and it was a huge box office hit in Germany in its day, like 1919. So uh, I think he's I think he's picking up on on those all those early surreal films. Yeah, and, it's he's just not hitting the ones the 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 inspirations that I was hoping for. Like 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 I said, like Freaks, uh, Nightmare Alley would have been another one to pull in a, a bit more unease. Yeah, uh, but. But he can't because he wants you to like John. Yeah. And everybody in the circus except for the bad people. Everyone right. likes everyone who knows John likes John. Right. Yeah. You should understand the freaks, not laugh at them. Even the little boy who starts out as a, a hostile. Right. Once once he sees that he's not a monster or you know, mentally deficient, whatever, even the little boy comes around. So we it's... are almost at ninety minutes, guys. Like, well, okay. We should. <laughs> I knew we, I knew we would go long, especially once yeah. we got our second win today. Uh, so next time we're going to do Dune, and we're going to do Blue Velvet. Talk about two movies again that are very different from each other. Cool. Yeah. But both with superstar Cal McLaughlin. Yep. I'll tell you up front, I love Dune for what it is. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've even come around more after our last conversation. I'm hoping to find something to like <laughs> this time. We know how I feel about it. Uh, any last words on these two? Mm, no, not for me. I, I think, I, I think I've, I've said my piece. Yes. Well, yeah yeah I, I i thought we came to a great kind of set of insights on these thank you guys it's been well it's always great getting together yep thank you too yes thank you <laughs>